Thank you, Chuck. I'm always moved uh, and always convicted uh, when the word of the Lord can move such emotion. And uh, it should. It should. That should be how we respond to God's word. And uh, I like to think, I, I kind of heard it, Elijah, uh, with that same kind of emotion crying out to the Lord. And I hope that's the same kind of emotion that we cry out to the Lord with. Hey, before we get started, though, we have um, a celebration to have. Um, it seems that the youth staff this year is just the uh, place you go if you want to get engaged and get married, uh, because uh, this weekend, Tyler Eckel and Ryan Delaney were engaged. Um, and then Zach and Michelle are getting married later this month, so it just seems like the place to go. I promise that is not the purpose of the youth staff. We do nothing to enforce that. They met outside of youth staff. It just so happens they served with me. Um, but yeah, so making sure that when you see them, you offer them your congratulations. Um, one year ago, one year ago, life as we knew it came to a screeching halt in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Stores were shut down, schools were closed, social distancing officially became a thing, and Zoom calls became the only way to talk with people or conduct business. Then came the great debates, mask or no mask, to social distance or not to social distance. Are the tests accurate? If you got a test, was it the most accurate? Dr. Fauci says this, but my personal doctor says this, but I think it could be this. Then there was the time when President Trump said, we don't know much about the coronavirus and this and thus, we should avoid panicking. But then you watch the news or look on social media, and the coronavirus is the worst thing since the plagues of Egypt. There's your tie-in to the Exodus series. <laughs> now, today we're faced with the question, do I get the vaccine or do I not get the vaccine? If I'm going to get the vaccine, which one do I get? Morally, should I get one at all? This group of people makes me feel bad if I do get the vaccine. This group of people makes me feel bad if I don't. And regardless of your feelings towards any of these things with the coronavirus, which, you know, answering those questions is not the purpose of the sermon this morning, the thing I think can be said is that figuring out what we believe or who we can trust can be a hard thing to figure out. The people of Israel were in a similar situation in 1 Kings. Their king, Ahab, who is a real stand-up guy, had been leading them for about 22 years. And according to 1 Kings 16, has done more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of the other kings before him. Not the trophy I want to put on my mantle. He then marries Jezebel, another real piece of work, who has a particular hatred for God's people, and as a result of Ahab marrying her, he begins to follow the false gods Baal and Asherah. He begins promoting idolatry or the worship of these false gods, and the Israelites are stuck in a crossroads. So God sends Elijah. Before I go any further, though, I want to make sure that you have notes 
because this is one you'll want to take notes on, because it's a bri- this is a bridge between uh, the plagues of Egypt. If you remember last week, we talked about the first six plagues, and then we're finishing up next week, and this is kind of a bridge. And so Aaron's got uh, bulletins and notes. If you weren't able to get one when you came in, um, make sure you raise your hand, and he'll get you one so you can take notes this morning. But when you read the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, it can seem like one of those stories where God just wants to prove himself, And because he can, he chooses Ahab and the false god of Baal. But when you actually look at the details of the story, there's a very particular reason and purpose as to why God decides to destroy these prophets. First off, Ahab was leading the people of Israel. He was leading them astray. And the Israelites are kind of trying to stay in the middle so as not to make either side mad. I've been told that uh, I react similar to Elijah in this instance because you can tell from Elijah's wording that that drove him nuts. He's like, just choose one. Because in uh, 1 Kings 18, 21, he says, you can't keep going between two opinions. You have to choose. If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. The Israelites said nothing, and thus we have the events that follow that we'll get into. But I want to ask the question. I want to ask you this question. How many times do we find ourselves on the fence when it comes to two different opinions? Of course, there are those big political opinions. But what about when it comes to trusting the power of God? Now, you may not be one that right out questions the power of God, but we do do it in sort of a backdoor situation. We lose all hope because in that moment, whatever trial we're facing, whatever problem it is, we forget to look to God because in our mind, that trial, that problem is just too much for him because it's too much for me. Or we have the issue of giving up worldly things in order to follow Jesus. We put our kids' sports teams, we put concerts, we put sporting events in front of following Jesus and think that God is okay with it because after all, I go to church more than the average person, so it's going to be okay. We try to stay in the middle because we're afraid of what the world will think if we aren't following the latest trends or we can't imagine our lives without our favorite sports teams, and we only want to follow Jesus when it is convenient for us. Looking at the account of Elijah in 1 Kings 18, there are three things that I want us to make sure we understand when it comes to trusting in the power of God. The first one is, the choice is yours. I love this. Look, if you... If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Kings 18, 21. Because in that you see exactly who Elijah is talking to. It's all the people of Israel. He Again, he questions them and asks, how long are you going to limp? Which to limp, meaning you're kind of walking injured. Right? Like you can tell that there's something wrong. You're not at full strength. So Elijah can see the Israelites trying to follow Ahab, trying to possibly follow Baal, and then possibly follow God, and they're just kind of like, I don't, they're, they're limping. 
between opinions. If God is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But notice in this, in, in 1 Kings 18, 21, who, what Elijah does not do. Okay, he, he is not blaming Ahab. Okay, even though there could be a very strong case against Ahab, he's not blaming Ahab. He's not blaming the prophets of Baal. He's not even blaming Jezebel. He's speaking directly to the Israelites and asking them, why have you been limping between these two opinions? In a, in a, in a, backdoor, in a kind of a backdoor way, he's saying, why did you allow Ahab to have so much influence, you know who God is. He's the same God that pulled you out of Egypt, and yet you're limping between these two opinions. Why? Say that with like that mom or dad voice that just makes you cringe, right? Elijah's coming at him, right? But this is the point, this is a point that that I make about every week to our students. Ask anybody, 7th through 12th grade, I say this all the time, that the choice is theirs, and that no one can make you believe in God's power. No one. We do often like to cast the blame on others for what we believe or why we worship the way that we do. In fact, Pew Research Center did a study and found that a total of 53% of people who attend church either do so either to continue their family's religious traditions or to please their family, spouse, or partner. So in other words, there are 50, there, the 53% of people only have some religious affiliation because they feel like they have to because of someone else. It's not because of God. Now, I want to make sure we understand this. The reason why I have faith in Jesus is because someone introduced him to me. I did start going to youth group to church because of someone else. I started because of someone else. The people that introduced me to Jesus and got me to go to church besides my own mother, none of them are here. Okay, there's a difference. There's a a process, and these people are not going through the process. They're just following whoever is leading them. And I know I can say this. I, I know Reg would feel the same way. If any of our church leaders started preaching something that did not line up with the gospel, then it's up to us to follow God and not them. We don't follow Reg, you don't follow me. You don't follow the elders. You follow Jesus. We help you in that process. You see, the Israelites were in, the, were, were in this place where they had their king Ahab, who, who again, stand-up guy, was leading them astray by worshiping Baal, and the Israelites are just kind of stuck there going, well, he is our king, right? Like, I mean, yeah, that seems like a pretty big deal. And there's so much into Ahab's belief system that when Elijah confronts them, they can't even answer which God is God, and they're just waiting for someone to hand them the answer. Like, I can almost see him, like, leaning in, like, come on, Elijah, tell us it's God. Like, tell us what to do. And Elijah's like, I'm not doing that. Elijah doesn't bite. Elijah comes up with this plan. He says, God is going to show you who God is. I'm not going to. And everybody's in agreement on this test. But there's a word of caution before we dive deeper because testing God sure does sound familiar. You look at any prosperity preacher who tells you to give this much and God will bless you. You want to be blessed by God, making sure you're doing everything right. 
Test God and see how much God can provide for you. When you give up everything God has given you to see how he's gonna provide for you. Do you see how that kind of, it doesn't make sense. Which is why we must, we must, we must choose carefully who we listen to. Okay, Elijah's not that prosperity preacher. Elijah is not. But man, oh man, are there some good moments in this story. Because again, this whole account is written because Ahab was misled by Jezebel to worship the prophets of Baal. And, and I often have to, th- to ask, I have to ask, how many times do we have moments like that where we think that we'll be okay, that, that, that I won't be led astray? I mean, why would God put this awesome opportunity in front of me if he didn't want me to pursue it? Probably because God didn't put it in front of you. 2 Corinthians 11.4 speaks very clearly that even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. I can almost guarantee you Jezebel's true colors weren't out until after Ahab started following the prophets of Baal. Because that's the way that Satan works. Things look very attractive, which is why in our fast-paced world, it's a very dangerous moment when we're deciding between whether we're following God or whether, we're, or whether this decision that we're going to make, this choice, this person that we're going to follow is following Jesus because we move at such a pace that it doesn't allow God to reveal who he actually is and we end up falling into the traps that Satan sets because if Jezebel hated God's people, you best believe that Satan is going to do whatever he can to destroy you. And that includes disguising ways to mislead you. And honestly, folks, it all comes down to the voice that you're listening to, who that voice is coming from. You see, Ahab was misled by the the attractive voice of his wife. But then my favorite part, 1 Kings 18.27, Elijah is actually mocking the prophets of Baal because they've, so the the test that, that Elijah has set up as he says, we're, we're going to go to Mount Carmel and we're going to set up our, 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 um, our ways of testing out. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make a sacrifice and we're going to set up the altar. And then each of us is going to take a turn. You're going to call on Baal. You're going to call on your God and, and, and have him bring down fire and light your altar on fire. And then I'm going to do the same. And whoever's altar is consumed by fire, that's whose God is God. And he said, oh, that great. That sounds good. He lets Baal go first, the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal. They have been at work for three hours trying to get Baal to rain down fire. I give up after three seconds, but three hours they are trying to get Baal to answer. And then in 1 Kings 18, 27, he mocks them and says, he's probably asleep. You got to wake him up. He might be going to the bathroom and he can't hear you yet. He doesn't know that you need him, right? He just just might be busy. He's probably doing other God stuff. So you gotta cry louder. Here's what's funny is they listen to him. The man who has come to confront you for following this God is giving you ideas on initiating with your God and you listen to him. How dumb can you be? And, And we chuckle, but don't we do that all the time? 
We're like, I must have to do this, even though in God's word it clearly says you don't have to check X, Y, and Z. But they're like, you know what? Elijah's a pretty good guy. He probably looks good. And he speaks with such authority that why wouldn't we listen to him? And you have 450 prophets of Baal who are religious leaders. None of them had the idea to, to, to raise their hand and just go, um, guys, are, are we sure about this? Like, can we think rationally about this? No, they, they listen to him and they even start to cut themselves as was their custom. And as much as, I, as much as this makes me chuckle that they listen to someone who doesn't even follow their God, it makes my heart hurt because it means they were taught that if their God was not responding, then you must inflict pain on yourself in order to get him to respond. It also takes 450 prophets to try to get Baal's attention, which means that they probably came under that teaching that says you have to have all 450 prophets together in order for him to respond. And I'll tell you, that's very different than the God that I know because the God that I follow has made it very clear that the one thing I have to do to get to him is to cry out. I don't have to be in any room. I don't have to be in any certain position. I simply have to cry out. And his word says that he hears me. He hears me. That gives me chills to know that the creator of the universe hears me. It doesn't take three hours. It doesn't even take a second. He's made that way for you and for me to come to him personally through Jesus we have direct access to God through his word, through prayer, but a lot of times we live like the prophets of Baal. I must do X, Y, Z in order to be able to come to God, and God says that is not the case. We don't come to God for help because we're good enough or because we can handle it on our own. We come to God because we, we're not good enough and we can't handle it on our own, and that's the way God wants it. But oftentimes, we say, I have ways of handling my life's problems, and there is one problem with that. God is not to be rivaled. You see, God wants and deserves to be the only receiver of our worship. Nothing is to be held in higher regard than him. Nothing. And this is why the events of 1 Kings 18 even happen because Ahab was rivaling God with the prophets of Baal, thinking that Baal was the one true God and worthy of his worship. And in doing so, he misleads God's very own people. I don't know where any of you are at in your relationship with Jesus. But I will give you this one warning, regardless of where you're at or regardless of how your heart feels. Don't mess with God's people. And I say that seriously. Do not try to prove yourself better than God. Where you are at in your relationship with Jesus is where you are at. But please hear me say that God is not one to be rivaled. Even though following Baal is, isn't really a struggle for us, I, I haven't had anybody come into the church in the six years that I've been here and said, I'm really struggling with following Baal. Right, that's, that's not a thing. Or, you know, I'm really following the Greek mythology gods. That's, that's not really our struggle today, but there are a couple gods that we have placed above worshiping the one true God. 
And here's just a couple of them. This could be the God of success. Doing whatever it takes to be successful in this life, even if it means compromising your relationship with Jesus. The God of money. Doing whatever you can to make sure you make enough money without putting a priority on worshiping the one true God. The God of self, making sure you look the best, you do the best, and as long as you're happy, it does not matter what anyone else thinks of you, you will be the best, no matter what it costs you. And it doesn't matter what God's word says about it, you will stop for nothing. It doesn't matter what God says about you, the only opinion that matters is the one that says you are on top. Now, I wanna make it clear, there is absolutely nothing wrong with being successful, there is absolutely nothing wrong with having money, and there is nothing wrong with wanting to make sure you look the best and doing the best in your field. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is when that takes precedent over where you are at with God. Do you seek your success more than you seek God? Do you seek to make money more than you seek God? Do you seek the way you look more than you seek God? I would encourage you, to read the book God's at War by Kyle Eidelman. Uh, these are just three pulled from that book, but he goes in a lot more depth and is a very respected pastor in Kentucky that does a very good job of, of pointing these out. And there, there were ones, as I, was, as I read through it, there were times in there that I was like, oh my goodness, that is me. A very good book, God's at War by Kyle Eidelman. But the world will tell you that life is all about what you want and makes you happy. Watch whatever TV shows you want, listen to whatever music you want, and you know what? You're gonna be outnumbered in this world, and that's why choosing not to rival God takes courage. Elijah stood up to the 450 prophets of Baal and declared that they were wrong. Not my cup of tea, does not excite me. But he's one man, trusting in the power of God, standing up to 450 prophets of Baal. For Elijah, it was different. For me, that sounds pretty intimidating. You tell me that's what we're doing after church? My legs are turning to jello, and I'm, I'll say okay, but I'm very nervous. Elijah was a man who knew that God was powerful enough to see this through to completion. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God has called you to do something already. It's hung on our wall. He's called us to go and make disciples of all nations and to simply talk about him. You might not be called to confront the 450 prophets of a false god, but you are called to take a stand for God in your place of work and at your school and against the false gods that walk through the door of your home. And you know, hearing that, you may think to yourself, you know, Sean, I'm okay. I'm just gonna continue to do what I do. There's nothing wrong with not coming to church because of my favorite sports teams or that I, I haven't read the Bible because God is, work has just been killing me and my kids are just a mess. It's not that big a deal. But and anyways, God still loves me. And you know what? You're right, he does. But a word of caution, rivaling God will cost you absolutely everything. And I'm not an expert. I'm not one-on-one -on -one with God where God reveals everything that he's gonna do about everyone's heart. I don't know how God is going to make sure he's not rivaled in your life, but what I do know is he wants to make sure nothing is competing for your heart. God made very clear in 1 Kings 18 that he was not to be rivaled, and look what Elijah does in 1 Kings 18, 40. 
Not only does he just humiliate the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and not only does he just kill them, he slaughters them. There's no redemption. He slaughtered them because God is not rivaled, and anything that rivals him for your heart needs to be slaughtered from your life. There are too many stories, too many accounts of lives falling apart, families being destroyed because one person couldn't say no and continued to pursue the desires of the flesh instead of focusing their entire being on who God has called them to be. I tell you, one of the hardest things is to have to ask my wife to unlock my phone for me so I can install apps on my phone when I need a new app. But in doing so, it guarantees that I'm not accessing pornography. Some, some people in here, I know, have personally given up their phones, their, their laptops, their, their tablets. They've, they've given up the, the alcohol in the cabinet. They've, they've moved in with someone else. They've taken drastic measures to make sure that they are not rivaling God. Too many people find themselves like Ahab, married to something that competes for their heart, and instead of aligning our hearts with God, it costs them everything. And here's the bottom line, though, because trusting in God's power really comes down to one thing. Trusting in God's power means believing that he can do the impossible. In 1 Kings 18, 20 to 40, God does the impossible, you see, before this, he, he had kept it raining from, for three and a half years simply because Elijah asked him to, and no, he, he does more than that. Look at how he proves once and for all that he is God. Elijah has them build their altar and then pours 12 jars of water on the wood and the bull that they slaughtered for the offering, drenching everything. And now, I don't know if, if you know how hard it is to light wet wood on fire. Um, I found out, uh, a couple years ago, when Alex and I were coming home from Florida, uh, we stopped in Georgia, but the whole way through Florida, it rained, and it was just across the Florida-Georgia line where we stopped, and, and the whole campsite was drenched, it was wet, and I forgot kindling, which is very important when you're starting a fire, especially if it's wet. Um, but our, our wood is, is soaked, and there, there was no fire. In fact, the way we cooked dinner is we had a stack of 100 paper plates, and I lit them all on fire and, hot, and cooked hot dogs very fast. Um, it may not have been healthy, but it was fun, and it's memorable, right? So Elijah has this altar. Now, I don't have an altar. I don't have time to build an altar, and I thought for safety purposes it would be good if I didn't light the whole thing on fire. But I wanted to illustrate this because this is kind of what he does is he takes the altar and, and, he, and he builds it, and he says, this isn't enough, okay? Because if, if you just have this, right, there's many ways to light this on fire, right? You can, you can put lighter fluid on it and light it, and it's, gonna, and it's gonna burn. You can use newspaper and twigs. Thomas Boggs would tell me, just douse it in diesel and light it on fire. That's what he did this summer with our fires. It was awesome. Um, but there's many ways that we could light this on fire, right? It's, it's just a simple two-by-four, Right, But Elijah says, that's not enough. Because if I just ask God 
to bring down fire and light that on fire. Any, I could have done it anyway. We could have used oil from, from lamps or whatever and had somebody hiding behind the altar. No, I want to make sure that you know that it's God. So he says, you know what? I want you just to, just to fill it with water. Just pour water all over it. I want you to soak it. And you know what? I want you to do this 12 times. I want to make sure that you know that this is God that is doing this. So they pour and pour the water all over the altar. Now, if I were to ask you, you say, hey, we're gonna have a fire. Do you have any wood? And I bring wood that looks like this. You see it's dripping, it's soaked. You would probably look at me and say, we need different wood. Right? That's why also when, when you cut down a tree, you let it dry out so that it's dry wood, right? And then there's all this water in the bottom that we're just going to let that soak in. Now, if I were to have just walked up here and, and didn't pour the water into the bucket, I said, don't worry, just trust me, there's water in there. The, the bucket was sitting here when you came in. No one touched the bucket. No one poured any water in. You, you might believe me, but there's also that little bit of skepticism that says, I don't trust that it's fully water, especially if I'm able to light it on fire. There has to be something else in there because, in, because humanly speaking, wet wood doesn't burn, right? And that's what Elijah's doing. And I, don't, I, don't, I can't speak for Elijah, but I would only imagine that he is like having them pour the water over the wood and he's just watching it, getting soaked, and thinking, okay, Lord, this is you, completely in the Lord's hands, because he says, I have nothing. I can do nothing. But you know what? Elijah had already witnessed God do some miraculous things in his life, and he knew that lighting this altar on fire would be nothing for God, and you know what? He was right. He trusted in what God had called him to do, and God lit it on fire. Not only did he light it on fire, he consumed it. Now, the amount of water, they took 12, about 12 buckets of water. That's about how big their jars were, 12 of these. So that means they had, at minimum, scholars say they had, at minimum, mid-shin height water running around the altar. That's how much water ran off of the altar, and God consumed it all. Why? Because it's God's anyways. God can do what he wants because he owns all, and Elijah knew that. But here's the thing, that's the thing about God, is he reveals himself in abnormal ways. Think about that. Think about the times that God has revealed himself to you. I often wonder, at many of the circumstances that have happened with members of our own church, if we would have praised God the way we did if, say, Diego wouldn't have been as close to death as he was. Uh, and if you don't know who Diego is, he was a, he's a member of our church who contracted COVID and was one of the 5% that they said should not survive from contracting COVID, but he did. And I can say for those of us who, who have been on that journey with him, our faith is stronger. What if we didn't see God do miraculous things? What if Andy Baker wasn't sitting in the back row right now? Would our faith still be as strong? Would we still believe that God can do the impossible? 
Did we pray for Andy? Did we pray for Diego? Have we prayed for each other because we believe that God can do the impossible or because we're checking X, Y, and Z? Because I'll say this, when we come to God believing he can do the impossible, we have the emotion that Chuck had when he was reading scripture. Because it's impossible for us. This, this, uh, this past week, I had to write a letter to a judge uh, on behalf of a former student who was killed in a car accident over a year ago by a drunk driver. Hardest letter I've ever had to write, but his parents asked me to write this letter to the judge just so the person who killed him would know what he meant to all of us. And I'll tell you, I witnessed God do something impossible because in any scenario like this, I watch the parents go out for everything that they can and get everything that they can from the person that took their son. Wouldn't blame them, right? But I watched his parents only ask, make a deal for six years and have his license revoked for six years because they knew if he went before a jury, they would hang him out to dry and there would be no chance that he would come to know Jesus. When Amy told me that, I about fell out of my chair. Oh, what faith to believe that God can do the impossible. Now, don't get me wrong. She's been angry. Both her and Matt have been angry, rightfully so. And they have even said God did the impossible and melted our heart to want to see him come to know Jesus. And if taking Andrew's life was the only way that's gonna happen, then so be it. Now, I wanna ask you, do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith that if God were to take one of the most important things out of your life, you could look at someone in the eye and say, you know what, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, but you know what, God is still going to use this for good. Because God is not to be rivaled. He is not to be rivaled because he's already done the impossible, and we only have one response. We have one response, and that is to respond. And that's what it comes down to is responding to God is something we must do every day. And we respond because he's already done the impossible. He's risen from the dead, and if you don't think that's impossible, go out to the cemetery and try to raise somebody from the dead and let me know how that goes for you. Right, it's not gonna happen. We know it's impossible. But too many times we live our lives following the prophets of Baal because we can physically see them, we physically touch, and it's gotta be real, and it's hard to believe that God would raise someone from the dead. Even though I kind of believe it, we don't live like it. We don't live as if Jesus rose from the dead. Most of the time we live as if he's still in the grave and our hope comes by how much stuff and how much good we feel with the things that we have. And Elijah realized that, do you realize that Elijah put on his entire life on the line? Because if he would have been wrong, if he would have been wrong, which we know he wasn't, but if he would have, they would have hung him up to, to die. He would have been executed for, for mocking their gods. But he trusted in the power of God and who God said he was and is. And you know what? There's a lot of ways for us to respond. Again, we're not asking you to go uh, confront 450 prophets of Baal or to slaughter a bunch of people. That's definitely not what we are asking you to do. But responding to the call that he places on your heart may mean who are you inviting to our Easter service? Who's that, who's that neighbor that, that you know or you're not sure of if they know Jesus and 
we've given you cards to invite and we've asked you to pray for them. Are, are you stepping out in faith, believing that God can change their hearts and, and get them here? Partaking in, in communion, which we're gonna partake in the bread and cup here in, in, in a minute. But we, we partake in that believing and, and trusting in the power of God that, he, that he's moved. Do you pray thinking he can do the impossible? I love the end of February and March because every year a memory pops up on my Facebook of me getting to baptize my own dad. And I prayed for him for 23 years that he would come to know Jesus. And the dad that you guys see hasn't always been my dad. But I can tell you that God answers those prayers. It's going to be exhausting. Some of you in this room have been praying alongside of me for those 23 years. And it was long, but man, I can tell you, the minute that he responded and said, I want you to baptize me, whoo, that was awesome. But it doesn't stop there because then it moves to the next person. My brother right now is all the way in Arizona struggling with PTSD from serving in Desert Storm, not walking with Jesus. And I celebrate with my dad, but then you move on. Why? Because God can do the impossible. So my next step for you, you there, there's no slide for it, and I'm not giving it to you because I want you to write down exactly how you're going to respond. Because the only next step I have for you is to continue to respond to God doing the impossible. How do you need to respond? That may be cutting something out of your life, slaughtering something out of your life and getting rid of it forever. That may be. It may be I'm gonna make the commitment to be at every threefold communion in 2021. I'm gonna find a place to serve. I'm gonna join the worship team. I'm gonna serve in the kids' ministry. Whatever it may be, how are you going to respond? Not to make a checklist. Not for the checklist, but because God can do the impossible. Live your life in such a way that only God can get the glory for what has happened. Because believe me, I have no answers for why my dad trusts Jesus other than that the Lord heard my prayers. The faithful prayers of many, not just me. Be bold and step out in faith and talk to that person you know God had laid on your heart to talk to about him. Invite them to church. Invite them to your small group. Get plugged in with the small group if you're not plugged in with a small group. But live life and trust in the power of God. So right now, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us. And Reg is going to come up, and he's going he's to lead us um, in the bread and the cup. But I ask you that, that as I'm praying and as Reg is giving instructions to ask the Holy Spirit to convict your heart of what you need to give up before you come before him in communion. Okay, it's time we start living boldly and trusting in the power of God.